My friends, before there was anything we would call time, the God of all time and space was looking into every one of our hearts and lives and bringing exactly what we need. Salvation, redemption, renewal, forgiveness. An anecdote for our poisoned lives, for the sin that tries to kill us. And here it is. Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah, told about this hundreds of years before Jesus came. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised. We held him of no account. Remember, John said, he came to his own and his own received him not. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we counted him stricken struck down by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has come and redeemed us by the shed blood of his own son. Tell the world, in Jesus Christ we have new life because in him we are forgiven. How many of you know you've been restored and it's overflowing? Yeah, yeah, I could hear the catch in your voice, Lori. Yeah, when you know you've been restored, it just flows out in gratitude, and you know that nothing else can match that. And today, we focus on that as we realize that God has chosen us. And that's what the bell choir just played for us. Grace Notes played that powerful Deborah Governor anthem, I choose you. God said, I choose you. I love you. And so here we have Paul in what I think is the magnum opus of the greatest book in the Bible. Right here, God is speaking to us about that greatest of all gifts. And last week he said in verse 18 of chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. And the power in that is that Paul is saying, you know what, our time doesn't mean anything. David Berger, the famous geologist, said to me this morning, you know what, I'm reading this book you just gave me about the creation of the world, and you know the big hang-up everybody has? It's because we try to measure things by our time. Paul is saying, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing. Why? Because it's happening in our time. And so this morning, the apostle goes into just how it is that God speaks beyond our understanding of time and suffering and into the hope that transcends that. So listen as I read for us the continuation of that thought in just five verses that are the core of what the whole world has always needed to hear. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 30. He has just said, if we, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then he says, likewise, likewise, the Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, 
but that very spirit intercedes. Another word for intercedes is to help with sighs, too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints. So that is all of God's people according to what? The will of God. Then he really nails it. We've got to look at this. We know, he says, we know. Not we think, not, well, maybe. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. Let's look at that once more. We know We're going to look at that today. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. That is, that we would be one of his and flow out of what he has done and who he is. And those whom he has predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God cause us to realize that we have been justified and that God is glorified as we experience that, as we turn our hearts to his word this morning. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, let your good news come now. Let it find us. Let it justify us. Let it intercede for us in the power of your Holy Spirit so that with the full assurance of your presence in your Holy Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock. You are our salvation. All these things we pray in the saving name, the restoring name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Paul begins this word, this very essential word, with a subject we are all too unfamiliar with. And I don't mean that in a way that puts us down, but we just are too unfamiliar with this one subject. And that is prayer. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Wow. Acknowledging right off the bat, we are weak and we need an intercessor, a helper. Learning to pray, learning to pray, is a lifetime experience. It is not something we learn just one time. Because to be in relationship with God is a lifetime of learning 
and growing and being shaped by God's amazing grace. I, I think we do not know how to pray as we ought on two levels. First of all, we don't really know how to pray at any given time because we, we need God's Holy Spirit to do that for us and to bring to our awareness what it is that we need to be praying for and how we need to be praying. But the other part of that is we do, when it says we do not know how to pray as we ought, means meaning we do not know to stop and pray and let God be the one who directs our lives in every circumstance. We think we know how to drive from here to there. We think we know how to talk to someone. We think we know how to be in a relationship with our families and, and our spouses. And do we stop and pray about that? Lord, how do I need to be engaged with this circumstance and this situation? Oh, I got this one, Lord, thanks. I'll get to you if I need any help. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you know why he does not stop to enumerate what that situation might be? Because it's every situation. Do not ever think for a second that any of us is not weak in any situation, especially when there's chocolate cake involved. We are weak, and we, we need to pray. And we need to, to pray, we ought to pray. But we also need to pray as we are directed by that interceding Holy Spirit. Our nation and our world have forgotten to pray if they ever learned how. But we who are in Christ are assured that in our weakness, God's Holy Spirit intercedes with words that go beyond words because God put it in our hearts to choose God choosing us. And I want us to realize that today. God comes and intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. There's two signs that go on. One is the sign of God's Holy Spirit that is deep and interprets what is going on in us. The other sign is our own that acknowledges, Lord, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I really don't. I, I too easily think I do. I think this is what ought to happen, Lord, so I don't pray. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? But when we stop and hear that, we hear that interceding voice of God's Holy Spirit saying, no, I got this one. You don't got this one. That's bad English, but you know what I mean. I've got this one for you. I'm going to tell the Father exactly what's going on in your life, and I'm going to tell you what's really going on in your life. The Holy Spirit is God's conduit for whatever is taking place in our lives so that the message flows both ways, from us to God and God to us. Now, the, the Greek language in which the New Testament was written tells us that God gives us a hand up. Don't you love that? The word for intercede means gives you a hand up, takes you to a place that you could not get yourself. You needed a boost. You needed a hand up. In fact, literally, the word for what took place there is synergale. Synergale. Now, you may not you go, what? Synergy. Synergy, that's where it comes from. That when 
the power of God's interceding Holy Spirit connects with us, the, pow- the, the nature of, of the two is multiplied. It's no longer two plus two. Sorry, Mr. Glansman, the math theory goes out the window. Suddenly, when our lives joined with God's Holy Spirit come together, the equation changes and a synergy happens because we do not know how to do math as we ought. We do not know how the equation goes. We do not know what it means to be restored, as Lori described, but God does. And when our lives are joined with God's Holy Spirit, a restoration takes place that causes our lives to overflow. Now, we need to overflow. And that's what God is saying. I want you to overflow with what I have for you because it needs to wash all over you. That strength, that weakness becomes strength because God gives us more than we could imagine. We all have pretty wild imaginations, don't we? Sometimes not so healthy, but nonetheless, we have wild imaginations. God says, I want to give you in the power of my Holy Spirit more than you could imagine, and I will intercede for you. So your list here, you know, you've all got these lists, right? Yeah? You just kind of tuck that one in your pocket because I got this one, God's Holy Spirit says, I'm going to tell the Father what you need, and when I come back, when when it comes back to you, that's what that intercession is about, you're going to start to realize not only that God is faithful, but that God knew what you needed more than you ever thought, what the situation needed. And he's going to say, and now here's how I'm going to use you in this situation to reflect what that restoration was about. You see, loving God causes us to realize that whatever we are facing is not worth comparing to the glory God is about to reveal because in loving God, we discover again and again, more and more, that all things, all things, at least this is a tough one, all things work together for good because as we are led by the Spirit of God to love God, we discover that all things work together for God's will and God's will is always Perfect. And here's five things you can take with you. Listen, first of all is God works. That verse says God works. We, we can trust that. God is not sitting around going, ah, forget about it. You, you take care of it. God works together. Second thing, God works for good. God never works for bad. God never works to punish us. God never works to make things frustrating. God never works to confuse God works for good. Third thing, God works for good in all things. In all things. In everything we could face. We could say, well, then why doesn't it feel good right now? Because God's at work. And God never finishes. And God's timing is not our timing. But God works for good in all all things. We know that, remember? He begins that statement by saying, we know. We know. How do we know? Because God has. What happened? The Savior of the world died. The one who was our life and our hope died. He was gone from our presence. 
and he rose. As we will be raised, not this perishable body, not this body and this experience that feel unredeemable, but a new life. God works together in all things for good. Fourth, God works for good in all things for those who love him. God makes it possible for us to love him. God put it in our hearts to love him. And what it means to love him means to not love anything in this world before we love God. And finally, God works together for good in all things for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It's not random. It's not random. The things that go bump in the night, the things that feel like they're going to destroy us are not random. God is working together for good because God has called us to his purpose to testify to the fact that death and disappointment and discouragement and doubt and fear have no lasting power over those who are in Christ Jesus and who love him. And it is as we learn to love God that we are loved by God and we experience what it means to be loved by God in the face of our greatest disasters. You see, Paul realizes something we have a really hard time wrapping our heads and hearts around, particularly in our condition where sin tries to prevail, especially when the last thing we think to do is to pray or love God. Wait a minute, this is no time for prayer, loving God. The world's falling apart. God says, I know. I know. I've got this. God's Holy Spirit says, feel that sigh? I'm sighing for you. I've got this. And what God is saying to us is that God is God, and we are not. God sees, as Charles Hodge, the great Princeton professor, pointed out, God sees the end from the beginning. God sees the end from the beginning because God is the end and the beginning. God chose us to choose him to conform to the image of his son so that we can be part of what God was planning all along. And that is for us to be one with him. There's our hope. This life and everything about it is the call to realize this. In our brokenness, we resist God choosing us. We say, no, I do not want to be carried upstairs. I do not want to be put to bed. I do not want to take a nap now. I want to do what I want to do. But God's grace offers to do what we cannot do because God alone can bring all things together. For good because it's his purpose that is being carried out our problem is actually quite simple we don't know what good is or we think we do I know what good is or perhaps worse there's our real problem we want to define what good is in the moment in our time frame by our definitions My definition, for instance, my definition of good does not include getting my heart broken on any level. 
My definition of good does not include getting my heart broken on any level or ever being disappointed or thwarted. Everything goes my way. Honestly, that's what I think good is. But I've been doing this for a while now. And I realize it is when my heart has been broken, and that has happened, that I have been equipped to know what it means to love and be loved by God. It is when my heart has been broken that I understand what it means to have love restored because I think something's been taken away, and and on a worldly level it has, but God says, wait, I will restore that a hundredfold, a thousandfold, a millionfold. And he has, and he does, and he will, and he is. Much as I might not like it, it is when my heart is broken that I see God choosing me. See, our greatest irony is looking for something less than this and saying that a broken heart has no place in all things working together for good. We can say, look, things can work together for good as long as my heart doesn't get broken. That would be all things working together for good. A broken heart doesn't fit into that. Our tragic flaw is thinking this, that God can never redeem the horrible things that have happened to us. And we might not say it, but we certainly feel it. God can never redeem this. This situation, this circumstance, what has taken place, what is taking place, is never going to be something I look back on and go, oh, that was a piece in the puzzle. That had to happen for the whole to come together. Our failure to see God's hand at work in the things we call unredeemable comes from our resistance to how God places it in our hearts to choose him, choosing us, instead of charging off to find our own solutions. By God's grace, and only by God's grace, I began to realize a long time ago there is only one solution to life, to any sorrow, to death itself, and a broken heart, and that is day by day to accept God's grace by God's grace, that everything I experience is planned. Everything I experience is planned. Even caused by God for one reason, to draw me, to draw you, to draw all of us into God's redeeming embrace where everything is restored on God's terms and in a way that is exceedingly abundant, more than we could ask or think. A man named Larry Parsley writes very convincingly, I think, on, uh, on the need uh, to recognize these limitations. So let me share you, with you a, uh, a little-known story. A man named Henry Worsley was a former British commando, and then he was an Arctic explorer, and he was a, uh, obsessed with his leadership hero, the Arctic explorer Ernest Shackleton. Some of you may have heard of Shackleton. Worsley, who once spent the night sleeping near Shackleton's grave, adopted Shackleton's creed, by endurance we conquer. But despite his fame and heroism, Shackleton 
was in many ways a broken man. His hero was a broken man. Our hero is a world that we say has it all. The answers are all out there. But it's a broken world. Shackleton was a broken man and he was being made a hero. He emerged physically broken after Captain Robert Scott's 1902 retreat from his polar expedition. In 1906, Shackleton led his own valiant yet unsuccessful journey toward the South Pole, eventually ordering a retreat to save the lives of his men. Worsley's obsession and endurance pushed him beyond his previous milestones. He had internalized a line from James Elroy Fleckler's poem, always a little further, a little further, a little further. So at the age of 55, Worsley set off for what he thought would be an 80-day solo journey. He endured temperatures of 40 below zero, was often disoriented, windblown, dodging deadly crevasses, all the while pulling a sled nearly double his own weight. After covering over 900 miles in a little over two months, Worsley's body became battered by various illnesses and dehydration and sheer exhaustion. And just 30 miles from his goal, a defeated Worsley radioed for an airlift. Sadly, his body was too far gone. And he passed away from organ failure before his wife, Joanna, could see him. Now, it's easy to lionize this kind of behavior, Worsley, who seemed to have near superhuman discipline. But in a recent article in the New Yorker, it was observed in his diary he had written, Never, ever give in. And it echoed a lesson from one of Shackleton's self-help books, which, which Worsley had once posted on his website. Never give up. There's always another move. See, this is not that long ago. This is the guy who did this today, and so it's still happening. But maybe, never give up, all, there's always another move. Maybe that's wrong. Hadn't Shackleton survived because he realized at a certain point he had to turn back, that he had no more moves? And unlike Scott and others who went to a polar grave, Shackleton recognized his own limitations and those of his men. He understood that not everything, least of all the Antarctic, can be conquered. And within defeat, there can still be triumph, the triumph of survival itself. So at some point in our lives, the real key is not always a little further, always toward my goal, always what I imagine will be redeeming. At some point, we need to hear these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Real power lies in surrender, admitting our weakness and our limitations, and trusting the interceding power of God's Holy Spirit that says, I will intercede for you with a message that is too deep for you. When we learn to give in to God's choosing us, we will not give up. But rather, we will learn in our weakness to pray those prayers of surrender that teach us what it really means to love and be loved by God. Dave Dravecki, some of you may know that name, was a left-handed pitcher who was blessed to play for the two greatest teams in baseball, 
the Giants and the Padres. I had a chance to meet Dave a couple times, and uh, some of you may know that uh, toward the end of his career, Dave contracted cancer in his left arm, and they thought that it was in remission, but ultimately, Dave lost his arm. And for a pitcher, perhaps, that's worse than losing one's life. But Dave learned something we all need to learn about God choosing us. He said, looking back, uh, my wife Jan and I have learned that the wilderness is part of the landscape of faith. The wilderness is part of the landscape of faith. And every bit as essential as the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we are overwhelmed by God's presence. In the wilderness, we are overwhelmed by what seems to be God's absence. But both places bring us to our knees, the one in utter awe, the other in total dependence. They're the same. My friends, the experience of being chosen by God and interceded for and helped comes when we least expect it and most need it and happens not because we deserve it or have earned it or learned to act faithfully when we don't like it, but because this, this is why. Because God loves us on our worst day. God loves us and places it in our hearts. In the midst of that wilderness, when it seems like there's utter despair and what we wanted more than anything else is gone, God places it in our hearts to want to be chosen by him and chosen when it feels like we've been rejected, run over and left in the wilderness for dead. God places it in our hearts to love him and be loved by him as the only thing we need. For all my best efforts in life, I have never gained what I thought I needed. For all my best efforts. But by God's graceful choosing, I have received more than I ever imagined. Because I've been drawn closer to him when I felt like all was lost. And there have been huge and deep times of that. I can tell you about that if you ever want to know. Finally, Frederick Buechner said something once that is on my office wall, and I read it every day. It is the heart of what Paul is telling us here. He says, to be commanded to love God at all, let alone in the wilderness, is like being commanded to be well when we are sick, to sing for joy when we're dying of thirst, to run when our legs are broken. But this is the first commandment nonetheless. Even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness, you shall love him. My friends, we are God's storm children. We are God's wilderness children. He has chosen us out of those places of absolute hopelessness. He has come to restore us. And he's chosen you and me today, and he wants us to know it. He wants you to know that he hears your sighs too deep for words because he has given those to you in his spirit. That is his speaking into your heart. He wants us all to know that whatever has happened, whatever is happening or will happen, will work together for good because we know that's how God works. Because God loves us and has put it in our hearts to love him. 
He wants us to know he has chosen us for experience, to experience and to make known his amazing grace today simply by telling how we've been restored. He restored me when I was a child. He restored me as a teen. He restored me in middle life. He's restoring me now. At every single moment, God says, receive my restoring power. May we let this happen. And may it change us so that we may be agents of letting someone else know in their wilderness that God has chosen them. May it be for God's glory that we experience God's Holy Spirit sighing too deep for words. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in our heads, maybe we begin to know this is true. In our hearts and in our daily living, we need to live that it is true. And that can only happen as your Holy Spirit takes hold of us and makes happen what we cannot. So come now in the sweetness and the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Shape us, heal us, restore us, redeem us so that the world would see that the impossible has taken place because of your amazing grace. In your precious name we pray. Amen. My friends, because we know. Remember that phrase. We know. Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And there go joyfully. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words.